Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, offering quality live programming with holistic, spiritual, psychic, and metaphysical hosts. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to We Get Results. It's Tuesday, June 20, actually, it's Tuesday, June 25th, 2019, and I'm your host, Mary Singer Albertson. If you haven't joined me before, We Get Results is aired on the fourth Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern and archived for later listening. The purpose of We Get Results is to connect listeners to ways they can make a difference on issues that they're passionate about. Everyone can get results if they know what to do and want to help make changes for the betterment of those who have no voice. One of the best ways I've found for one person to make a difference is taking action through the results organization. We are a volunteer citizens lobby meeting with Congress to create the political will to end hunger and poverty, uh, both in the U.S. and globally. Check out www.results.org. Click on the successes page to see what has been accomplished by volunteers in nearly 40 years. Um, Today, we're going to focus on uh, the the affordable housing crisis in the United States. we need, we need increased access to affordable rental housing. Um, we need housing assistance programs. And those programs did lift 2.9 million people above the poverty line in 2017. But only one in four who needed assistance received it. So today I'm going to be joined by Meredith Dotson uh, from the results staff in Washington, D.C. And I'll tell you a little bit about her. Uh, Meredith Dotson serves as the Director of Results U.S. Poverty Campaign Work, overseeing results legislative and coalition work on budget and tax policy, Head Start, Child Care, Health Reform, Nutrition Issues, and other U.S. anti-poverty initiatives. She also works directly with Results Grassroots Network, training and supporting results volunteers all over the country, building relationships with members of Congress and their staff, generating local media and network with local community groups and other allies to build the organization. She's been on staff with Results since 1998 and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, son, and daughter. And she's helped me a lot, out a lot many times. So I'm going to see if we can hear Meredith. Meredith, are you there? Yes, I am, Mary. How do I sound? You sound great. I was just saying how much help you always are to us, and uh, you're always there when we need you. So um, I'm happy that you were able to join me because uh, there, the um, affordable housing crisis is a giant crisis and is affecting so many people. And so um, today I thought we could have you tell us exactly what's happening right now with it and um, things we might be able to do to help with that. Um, I think there's a lot of information that we have no idea of exactly what's happening and what kind of programs there are and how many people that they're not reaching by what we have so far and what we can do. So um, I'm hoping that you can start out. You know, I say a little bit about results each month, but um, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit more about results and what everyone's doing. Great. Thanks, Mary. And it's always a thrill to be on with you and um, your audience. So thanks for having me. Um, so uh, 
you know, results volunteers are incredibly inspiring um, in the work they're doing on housing policy and just what they're doing overall. Um, so uh, Mary is one of many advocates across the country raising their voice um, to call for, you know, the kind of country and world we want to live in and influence the decisions that policymakers are making. Um, uh, leveraging community support and attention with local media to make the um, biggest the biggest impact we can. And um, so while some of our volunteers are focused on really crucial investments to fight um, uh, pandemics, um, diseases like the global uh, to aid tuberculosis and malaria through increased resources for the global fund to fight HPV and malaria and investments in nutrition. Other results volunteers are primarily focused on U.S. poverty issues and talking to their members of Congress about how these policies impact them directly and um, uh, how they impact their communities. So um, specifically on housing, since you mentioned that, um, you know, for the last couple yeah. of years, we've, um, we've had to play defense. There were really um, really uh, serious uh, threats to basic food assistance, to health care, um, but at the same time we know that we need to do more um, to provide opportunity and uh, kind of address more of the fundamental issues, including um, wealth inequality uh, and um, the racial wealth divide. So uh, a group of mm -hmm. our network who are volunteer leaders called our Experts on Poverty um, I, uh, we're, uh, took a leading role in pushing us to look at um, issues related to housing, both the, the importance of addressing the immediate needs when it comes to housing, but also um, how much that's really uh, a key driver of racial wealth inequality. So mm -hmm. one of the, the stats that really stands out for me is that since 1960, renters' incomes have gone up by 5%. But rents have gone up by 61%, and that's according to the research yeah. at, researchers at Harvard who put out a, a housing study every year. Um, so we know that this is a crisis in communities across the country um, and that so many families are kind of struggling to make ends meet. So that's, that's kind of a bit more about results, but also what drove us to kind of take on housing policy in particular. Mm-hmm. I know I saw someone. And if you'd like, that, what I can uh, talk about is some of the opportunities in Congress that um, and uh, that we're kind of working towards to address the crisis. Yeah, of course. That'd okay, be great. great. So, um, so most of our housing assistance is done um, for low-income families. Is done through the annual spending bills or appropriations bills that Congress considers. So. Uh, while many of us know uh, about public funding for public housing, that was kind of the original um, affordable housing policy, um, the biggest housing policy now is housing choice vouchers, which are a public-private partnership that um, where families, low-income families, uh, have a voucher and they can take that to the private marketplace directly to a landlord um, uh, to mm -hmm. uh, secure housing. But um, that's the biggest program. There are other programs, too. And overall, only one out of four folks who are eligible for housing assistance gets it. So we started off the year when we um, were able to kind of 
transition to focus our energy on housing, we started off the year looking to see if we could get a big boost in housing assistance in the annual spending bill. Um, mm-hmm. So results volunteers dove into action. They talked to members of Congress. I know Mary, you and the other results Michigan folks met with a lot of your members of Congress um, on this issue. Um, results mm-hmm. volunteers generated dozens of media pieces across the country. And the House of Representatives is uh, right now considering their housing funding bill. Um, I think it'll pass by the end of June. Um, And it does include a a $1.2 billion increase in housing choice vouchers. So that's enough to not only keep up with, you know, the rising costs of housing to make sure all the families who are participating who have housing choice vouchers continue to be able to um, participate in the program. It also is enough to uh, support 9,000 more families getting housing choice vouchers. So Mm. good to see Mm -hmm. um, an increase in, you know, obviously, you know, we're hoping that Congress will finalize a spending bill that includes, you know, at least that, that amount of increased funding for housing choice vouchers. But we're now looking and uh, transitioning our focus to build some momentum over the long term um, for how to, looking at how we could really more effectively use tax policy to address our affordable housing crisis. So many mm-hmm. folks don't realize how much we're doing housing policy through the tax code, but when you think about the mortgage interest deduction, the deduction for property taxes, um, so there were some changes made in that back in 2017. Um, it is, um, you know, we we actually do a lot more in terms of housing policy through the tax code than we do in terms of um, the funding bills that Congress takes up every year. But we're doing it. What we're doing with that with those policies is making wealth inequality worse. We the uh, we are subsidizing home ownership in a way that, especially um, with the new tax law, it's sub- we're subsidizing home ownership primarily for some fairly wealthy folks, including second homes. Um, but we're not helping folks who are really bearing the brunt of the affordable housing crisis. So, one interesting idea um, that some policymakers are proposing is to use something called a renter's tax credit. So this would be a refundable credit. Um, it would be um, issued monthly, so it wouldn't. It would be different from current tax, federal tax policies that way. And it would make sure that families are not spending more than 30% of their income on rent. So it would make up that gap between what families are able to pay and um, what uh, a for, uh, kind of basic rents are, you know, for a place are in their local community. Um, mm-hmm. So there are a number, several folks who are running for um, the White House have, have issued, supported these kinds of proposals, and including um, just, uh, just this month, uh, Representative Castro, um, former Representative Castro, who was a HUD um, and uh, worked at the Department of Housing and Urban Development has issued a proposal like this. So has um, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, with, and that has the support of Senator Gillibrand from New York. 
um, and also Senator Booker. So it's nice to see mm-hmm. um, some of these folks running for president talking about housing and bringing up this kind of idea. You know, results isn't going to yeah. focus on any one of those bills as much as, you know, educating policymakers and building support for the, the concept of, of using our tax dollars mm-hmm. more effectively to um, meet the needs of folks who are really struggling because of our housing crisis. Mm-hmm. But it, what about you know, so the, that's something that, about, and that's something that's more long term. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think we're yeah. going to see big tax housing or tax legislation pass in um, before the 20, 2020 elections. But there are there is some bipartisan interest in getting something done between now and then. There was just legislation mm-hmm. um, introduced with a, a group of um, a bipartisan group of senators to establish an affordable housing task force. There's a, a group of bipartisan members of Congress looking at um, piloting um, funding for sta- uh, emergency stabilization funds. So if families experience an economic shock and are at risk of eviction, often it might be a couple hundred dollars is the difference between people getting totally uprooted and losing their housing stability. So there's some bipartisan interest in that. Um, you know, and I think that's others, good. you know, some proposals around um, really targeting um, uh, uh, first-time home buyers, especially in uh, neighborhoods that have experienced um, uh, the long-standing impact of, you know, se- segregationist policies over several generations. Um, Mm-hmm. So those are some of the other ideas that are interesting out there that I, I figured I would mention. Um, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. Um, what, and then also what about um, uh, talking a little bit about the discrimination against those who do receive assistance by the landlords? Yeah, that's. I'm so glad you raised that. So in two-thirds of the country, landlords um, are, are allowed to discriminate based, against folks based on their source of income. So that includes if their source of income is a housing choice voucher. So in many parts of the country, you see ads, newspaper ads that say no Section 8, which means no, um, that the landlord won't take housing choice vouchers. And shockingly, that's perfectly legal. So there are a number of states that have, um, uh, you know, about a third of the country overall have protections against this. uh, but in two-thirds of the country, it's perfectly um, legal to do that. So that's another area where there's been some bipartisan um, interest in mm-hmm. banning that kind of discrimination based on income source. And one of the groups that's most particularly impacted are veterans. So there's important um, housing mm-hmm. programs for, for veterans. And, again, discriminating against folks who are getting housing assistance, you know, has a particular impact on um uh, veterans and, and families with um, veterans across the country. So mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, that's another you know maybe that's something we could see move in this Congress um, and an important mm-hmm. area to address. So I will say that if we're thinking big and bold around you know a renters a refundable renters credit proposal, then it would be you know the renter directly paying rent um and therefore that kind of discrimination would not be in play in that situation meaning a, mm-hmm. you know a low income family um basically would get reimbursed for um uh, the portion of their rent and makes it un- unaffordable 
and but the landlord wouldn't have any ability to to know that because that's part of the tax, uh, you know, the the kind of tax system and not part of you know they're not getting a direct payment necessarily from, from the government. So you know that's obviously another way to address the discrimination is um, by income sources. Um, just if, mm -hmm. if families, you know, we were using our tax policy effectively in a way that would lift, you know, approximately 9 million people above the federal poverty line um, if a renter's credit proposal was fully implemented. Okay. Yeah, and I think, I don't think uh, we mentioned yet, too, that um, if a worker has a job that just gives a minimum wage, they can't afford a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in America. So... Yeah, the big thing is trying to figure out the minimum, seems, raise the minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, and actually, speaking of that, that's really that's a really important um, report that actually comes out um, every year, and it just uh, it's just been released for um, by the National Low Income Housing Coalition. This um, just uh, just uh, this month. So it's called Out of Reach. Um, um, you would need um, uh, it's details for every state, and you can look up your state ranking. Um, uh, how, uh, how many hours at minimum wage you would need to uh, make in order to afford a rental home at fair market rate. And when you look at it, uh -huh. um, very few places that you could work 40 hours uh, a week at minimum wage and afford rent, and there's a lot of places where you it's well above 80 hours a week at minimum wage just to afford a one-bedroom rental across the country. So um, uh, uh, I would urge folks to to check that out. Um, uh, you can see it at www.nlihc.org/oor, which is out of reach. So again, that's the National Low-Income Housing Coalition's website, their out-of-reach report that's just come out. Okay, good. Now that'll be that'll be helpful. Um, you know, we've gone on so long talking about uh, increasing the minimum wage. How do you think it's looking now? Do you think it's looking any better? Some places have not have started raising in different, what maybe like Costco or some other um, big companies. Yeah, and and when it's on the ballot, you know, one of the things that's interesting about issues, for instance, um, uh, uh, you know, in the last, in the 2018 elections, you know, in, in other um, recent elections, there have been some state ballot initiatives related to raising the minimum wage mm -hmm. or related to paid leave. And it's clear that, you know, the voters want to increase the minimum wage, but I think there's right. growing recognition that that is needed on a national level, but I don't, I, I'm pretty skeptical. I, I, it's hard to imagine that happening in the context of this um, administration, <laughs> but yeah. you never know. I know. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it's looking like when they've been having all the candidates give their one big idea uh, that they want to go into the campaign with people thinking about them, about, you know, there's more coming out of them that are interested in working on poverty and poverty issues. So I thought that was, that was good. They've had them on the, the evening news. They've started doing every candidate and, um, you know, they were talking about uh, trying to end poverty and, um, 
working more on the environment, which would affect poverty. And um, Mm -hmm. whether how much gets done or not, I guess, just depends on who we end up with, um, you know, after this election. But um, at least people are talking about some of the things that we weren't hearing anything about for so long. Um, Yeah, and and it was actually... uh, um, but the Poor People's Campaign um, uh, oh, yeah. has hosted, just hosted a, um, a presidential forum at Howard University. Mm-hmm. And a, number, a number of the candidates came to talk about poverty. Um, so yeah. it was great to see I think that. It was just and, you know, yeah, yeah. So um, at least something was on I TV hope about it will, yesterday. Yeah. They didn't show much of it, though, but I suppose we can get it if we go on Poor People's Campaign, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and it was, um, uh, and, I mean, there was a lot of conversation back and forth with, you know, it was it was about a six-hour block of time with the different candidates because there was mm-hmm. such a, you know, just so many of them came by. And I think with each candidate, it was like almost a half an hour just talking about poverty issues. So, yeah, it is really exciting to see. Mm-hmm. You know, people well, in the uh, just more and more conversation about both the housing crisis and poverty. Yeah, I think you know one statement that I wrote down that I you know really um, thought was good was it said um, a new report confirms that the priorities results advocates are pushing for like increased funding for housing vouchers are proven solutions to solving poverty nationwide especially as part of a broader policy strategy. So, you know, we're on, we're on the right track. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, so we'll be uh, um I'll I'll be seeing you, we'll all be seeing you um in July for the results international yeah, conference so- and, and we'll be seeing every Michigan congressional district, the Michigan results groups will anyway. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned um, that because there's actually another thing, you know, speaking of tax policy and shifting tax priorities so that they, mm-hmm. you know, were more focused on the needs of um, low-income working families, low-income working Americans. Um, you know, there's an exciting opportunity there also to build momentum for um, expanding the earned income tax credit and child tax credit. So. Um, Mm -hmm. These are really important um, anti-poverty tax policies that exist today, um, combined lifting over 8 million people above the federal poverty line. They reward work Mm -hmm. um, and support people raising children, but there's there's some real gaps there. So, um, uh, number one, for young workers or people who are not raising children in the home, the, this is the one population that's still getting taxed into poverty. Um, the earned income tax no. credit is not enough to offset um, the other taxes that population pays in terms of low-income workers. Um, so there are proposals to dramatically increase the EITC for, for these um, younger workers and other workers without kids um, and when they're, they aren't filing taxes claiming kids as dependents. Um, there's also um, the child tax credit. I think many folks know that there was a, a boost to the child tax credit included in the, the tax law that Congress passed back in 2017. But when they did that, they 
um, expanded the child tax credit to $2,000 per child, but only for for wealthier families. So for low-income <laughs> families um, who are not um, in the lowest-income families, who you would, I mean, I would argue certainly need the investments the most, they can't even right. claim the child the child tax credit, or they get a, a, if they're making somewhere, you know, kind of full-time minimum wage job, you know, something in the neighborhood of, um, you know, anywhere between three to 16 or so thousand dollars annually, they're only able to claim the uh, partial child tax credit. While again, families, um, wealthier families who, to be frank, you know, as a taxpayer, that's not the most efficient way to use my money. We're subsidizing those, mm -hmm. we're subsidizing families who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars every single year and are not families, you know, really feeling the pinch of raising, ki uh, raising kids on limited means. So it's exciting to see some um, proposals to, to expand the EITC and the child tax credit. Um, and I wanted to mention that Representative Kilby from Michigan just introduced legislation this month to expand the EITC and the child tax credit. So um, yeah. that's something that I, I think it'd be great to get other members of Congress to support that bill. It's called the Working Families Tax Relief Act. And it's mm -hmm. the same exact bill that in the Senate um, has over 40 co-sponsors. It was introduced um, by Senator Sherrod Brown, um, Michael Bennett, mm -hmm. uh, Senator Dick Durbin, and Ron Wyden, who is the top Democrat on the Tax Writing Committee, the Finance Committee. So, um, and, uh, you know, they're talking about tax legislation right now. I think we might see some movement on, um, on uh, a bill to temporarily increase the EITC and the child tax credit by, um, for increasing the EITC for um, younger workers and other um, single workers and increasing the, uh, making the child tax credit permanently, um, sorry, making it um, fully refundable so the lowest income families get to claim it. The House committee that's, uh, there's a House committee that's going to be considering some tax legislation um, this month, meaning in June 2019, and they've announced that um, they are including those provisions for low income working families in their tax, their broader tax extenders package. So, Good to see folks you again thinking about how the right? tax code. Yeah, did I not say 2019? Yeah, it's June 2019 for those who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said 18, but who knows? You know, it's 19. But yeah, who knows? That's good. Okay. Yeah. But um, so I think that, you know, there's a lot of us that are going to be coming to um, lobby on the Hill. I think sometimes people think, lobbying sounds really hard, but it's just going and tell your member of Congress who you have elected to be there and is, is uh, representing you what you want them to do. And we've had a lot of times when they've said, you know, we really like seeing you because you're not working for something for yourself. And it's yeah. so really yeah. joyful and it, it makes such a difference that um, we'd love anyone that's listening that's interested at all to, to, to get in touch with us and, uh, either come to Washington, D.C., or go to a meeting that's in your home city um, with members of Congress. And um, Yeah, and if, and if folks who are listening, you can go to resultsconference.org and see more about, about the conference in D.C. Um, 
mm-hmm. and, you know, including, you know, going with hundreds of folks to Capitol Hill to talk directly with policymakers. And I'll say that mm-hmm. there's, you know, research that the Congressional Management Foundation does um, where they interview congressional staff and they say, hey, what's the, what has the biggest influence on the decisions that you make? Um, mm-hmm. And by far, the top thing that has, makes the most influence has the most influence on influencing a member of a member of Congress is in person issue visits from constituents. And over half of those yeah. the staff who were surveyed said that has a lot of influence. And over ninety percent mm-hmm. in total said it had some influence. In contrast, less than ten percent of the staff who were um inter- uh, who were surveyed said that a lobbyist visit has a lot of influence. So ultimately, mm-hmm. the people raising their voices in local communities, and again, you know, whether it's in Washington, D.C., at a conference like the Results Conference or back home, those, that's the way that um, we can really um, influence. You all are the ones who have the power, and, and Results helps you understand how to use it to make the biggest difference. Yeah, and I think that you know, when you find out when the recesses are and when they are home and check with their office and see if they're having any coffees or town halls and get to know the staff in the office because once they know you, it's much easier to get a face-to-face meeting with the member of Congress when they call you call and they go, oh, it's results calling, you know. And um, so, and, you know, we've just had a lot of uh, good relationships with our uh, national or U.S. members of Congress because of all the times that we've gone to hear them and ask questions and talk to staff, and uh, it's just been a really good relationship. Congressman Kildee, too, is wonderful, and he doesn't even care that we don't have a constituent in his district of Flint. We go up to Flint to see him, and he is wonderful, and he does stuff that we ask him to do, and he never says, you know, are you a constituent of mine? You know, are you going to be voting for me? He is happy to see everyone, and I'm really happy uh, about this, and I'm going to make sure that plenty of people thank him for what he's doing right now. So anyway, is there anything else that you want to get into, Melissa, before we're done? No, that's – I really think that's um, that's it. You know, Mary, you you are such a great example of – how people can can make a difference and how eager your policymakers, you know, in the relationship you, you've built with them, whether it's been over decades or some of your new members mm-hmm. of Congress that you've been working with over the last, just the last year or so, you know, before they were, as they were running for office and once they were elected, um, how eager they are to kind of in, look for ways they can make a difference and, um, mm-hmm. and what a resource it's been for them. Um, and I will say one of the things I really appreciate about um, in Michigan, um, you have a really uh, powerful advocate who, you know, I think is very uh, LaShawn Marshall, who is, um, uh, I think it sounds like from the reports I've gotten, you know, that the policymakers are really interested in kind of hearing the struggle she's had in the midst of the affordable housing right. crisis and, and looking yeah. for ways to improve policies to address it. So. Um, I, think, I think always you know, if you they are a, legitimately interested in, in hearing from folks and, you know, there's organizations yeah. like Results that, that help get people connected so that um, your voices are, are heard and, and amplified. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. And we appreciate you. And when we come and maybe you'll come to Congressman Kildee's meeting with us. And um, yeah, that's I know that you're always something to, to connect with folks and strategize with them, of, you know, especially when they've taken a leadership role and we want to support them. So perhaps that'll, yeah. be, that'll be the case. Well, everybody go on results.org, check out the international conference, check out your um, own city's results groups. If you need any help from Michigan or anything else you want to ask me, it's malbertson05 at aol.com. And um, we look forward to having a wonderful conference in D.C. and meeting with lots of members of Congress. Now that there are so many new members of Congress, um, a new Congress and so many new members of Congress, it's really important, isn't it, to try to get to them now, talk to them now. Great. Yeah. And please go ahead and uh, uh, join us in D.C. next month. It's not too late. Right. So thank you so much for joining me today, Meredith. And um, uh, this will be archived in On Body, Mind, Spirit Radio. And I will put the link out for people who aren't listening today. And uh, we hope that you will get involved. If there's something that you are, it uh, really means a lot to you, let your member of Congress know what it is and let them know why. And people who have a story, they are very happy to listen and, and uh, find out what's happening and see what they can do about it. So um, thanks again for joining me, Meredith. And uh, we will look forward to seeing Thank you, you soon. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, see Thanks, you soon. Take, Take care. care. Take care. Bye-bye.